Hi, welcome to Love, Sex and Magic, the show for people who believe they can have it all and they know they deserve it. Relationships that are healthy and passionate, careers that are fulfilling and successful, and a life filled with meaning, purpose and magic. I'm your host, Melissa, and I'll be sitting down with some of the most knowledgeable, brilliant and inspiring minds in personal development, spirituality, love, sex and relationships for some incredibly inspiring conversations that will shake the foundations of your soul, wake you up and elevate your consciousness so you can live a life beyond your wildest dreams. Let's get started. Hi guys, welcome to Love, Sex and Magic. I am so excited for this guest. This is one of my favorite podcast episodes so far. Mastin Kip is the best-selling author of Claim Your Power and The Daily Love. He is an international speaker and creator of functional life coaching, which specifically helps people to heal their childhood trauma. He has been recognized as a thought leader for the next generation by Oprah Winfrey, and he is an expert for people who are seeking rapid transformation in their lives. So on this episode, we went super deep. We talked all about how you can start to recognize your trauma by using your triggers. We talked about the power of relationship to heal your trauma and also how you can be a healing partner for the person you're in a relationship with for them to heal their trauma. So I really hope you love this episode. Let's dive in. All right, Mastin, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So my first memory of you, Mastin, was coming to watch Hay House Ignite in London and you were just oh. rocking that stage. And this was maybe 2013. So this I was remember, a few yeah. years. Yeah, this was a few years before I joined the Hay House family. And I remember seeing you on stage and just being like, that guy has such an epic presence and such a way to like hold the room. And I was like, when I start speaking on stage, I want to be able to speak like that because the way that oh, you... Yeah, no, you've got a real gift for it. And, um, you know, I've really watched your journey since then. That was that was way back when you were doing the Daily Love. You were speaking a lot about self-love and purpose. That's right. Yeah, no, that was, uh, the Daily Love stopped around that time. And we actually just restarted it uh, about a month ago too. But yeah, I remember that. I think if I recall, at the end of that session, I, uh, the last song we played was Uptown Funk, if I recall. There's a huge mm -hmm. dance party. And uh, Hay House events are super fun, and I like to get everybody moving because there's a lot of time focused on meditation. There's a lot of time focused on, uh, you know, thinking of things and stuff like that. But to get people up and moving and having fun is, like, super fun. And, you know, as we talk more about trauma, you know, it's all in the body too, you know. So we'll talk more about that. But, yeah, that was awesome. And it's been amazing to watch your journey too. You really um, – have done an amazing thing in the correlation between, you know, uh, trauma and food. And I struggled with that a lot my whole life. So there's a lot to talk about and I'm happy to be here with you today. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. And I've really appreciated all of, uh, all of the support that you've given me as well. Um, as I started my journey and becoming a, an author with Hay House as well. So I've really appreciated that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've watched you just go from strength to strength. And I've got to say, like, when I, when I tune in and I hear you speaking now about trauma, it just feels like you have, it just feels like you have this fire inside of you. Like you have found your thing that you just um, are born to help people with. And I've got to say, you can, you can feel it. You can feel how much it means to you. So I'd love to know about your journey with this. Like, has this been a really powerful and healing journey for you personally with diving into your trauma? You know, um, 
how should I put it? You know, you, I'm sure you know this, right? You got to be careful what you decide to teach and write about because life will deliver the message to you and the lesson, right? <laughs> um, and I had no idea what deciding to really focus on, you know, the nervous system and trauma and developmental issues uh, would bring up for me. But uh, I thought I was relatively good. But yeah, all kinds of stuff has come up and it's been extremely illuminating. And the reason why I got into the trauma conversation, nervous system conversation is because I want stuff to work. I want to work. I want like advice to work. I want people to work. You know, the core thing that I care about with people is getting to live on purpose. And if you're stuck in your nervous system and in your history and past traumatic events, you're not going to be living on purpose. And, you know, there was just not enough information out there about why people weren't moving forward. And because both my parents are scientists, I took that scientific approach and started really looking at my own clinical observations and then trying to figure out what's the data to support it. And then all of a sudden, I discovered developmental trauma, polyvagal theory, attachment theory, um, how to regulate the nervous system, how to regulate emotions, and all of that correlated with my own clinical observations. But it was all the neuroscience to back it up. And I was like, oh, here we go. And so ever since then, I've been wanting to preach it from the rooftops because I'm all about what works. That's, that's the most important thing is I want to work, you know? Whether it's a food plan or a social media campaign or a relationship, it doesn't matter. I want all those things to work for people. And this is the stuff that is, I think, the foundational piece to help stuff work. And so that's really why I've tried to be really focused on it because it's the missing piece of the conversation so far. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think like we can talk about, you know, limiting beliefs and we can we can try and heal our addictions. But until we actually get to the root of our trauma, a lot of that stuff just feels very kind of on the surface and it's not really getting to the root cause. So I know that you've experienced addiction in your past as, as I have as well for everyone. Everyone knows all about my food addictions and bulimia. Um, and I've got to say, when I hear you talk about your story in like the music industry I relate to it so much because you know when I was an actress in the tv industry I just know that what that whole world especially in LA that whole circuit can be really detrimental to you if you if you have an addiction or if you are susceptible to addiction um you know it's it's extremely difficult to to be in those circles if you are in that kind of a vulnerable place you know, and I've, yeah. I've had different kind of addictions throughout my life. I've experienced feelings of addiction in relationships, codependency, questioned my relationship to love, to sex, been to a few like SLA meetings, alcohol, like it's kept showing up in my life. And I've gone, I've had to go, okay, this is not just, you know, this is not just something that we can just talk about and it will go away. This is actually like, I need to get to the root of my what is actually here, like the trauma underneath all of this. So would you say that like all addictions are rooted in trauma? Doesn't matter who you are. There's something there that's, that's in trauma. Um, it's a loaded question uh, for some people. It depends on who you talk to. I would say most likely yes. And here's why. First of all, we have to understand what trauma is. People don't understand it. I spend a lot of time trying to help people understand. So the first thing to understand is what are trauma symptoms? Depression, anxiety, lack of goal completion, drama in relationships, promiscuity, drug use, uh, any type of dysregulation, uh, whether it's overeating, undereating, um, binge responses. I mean, all the, you know, dissociative identity disorder, uh, ADHD, ADD, uh, all the pers uh, personality disorders, all these things are trauma responses, right? And you have to ask yourself, what is trauma? Well, most people think trauma is sexual assault, abuse, 
um, you know, wartime traumas, battlefield traumas, and those are certainly traumatic for sure. I mean, those are like we call those capital T traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at what trauma is, tra- the way that I define it, based on all the research I've done, and I try to make an integrated approach to like bring in neuroscience, spirituality, functional medicine, you know, all the mental health pro- processes, personal development. Trauma is any experience of threat or immobilization that chronically or long term disrupts your ability to optimally function with your brain, your body, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, right, and in your life. So if you're not in an optimal state mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, there's a trauma underneath it. And that's really what we have to understand. Now, there's trauma that could be as a result of, you know, you eat certain foods. What's inflammation? It's a trauma response. That's what inflammation is. So when your body's inflamed, which is the cause of most chronic illness, right, that's a trauma response because you're damaging your body and inflammation is trying to restore it back to health. What is anxiety? It's also a trauma response, but maybe it's because there was a breakup or a divorce or maybe you went through high school, right? I mean, there's lots of things that can be traumatizing as well. So we have to redefine and not quite put trauma into this category of shock trauma that's capital T that's really dramatic stuff because like literally a mother's face, if it's not regulated when a child is before the age of two can be traumatizing to a child, right? So when we're in disconnection, when we're not in safety, when we're not known, when we're not seen, when we're not heard or validated, those are all traumatic experiences. And what is an addiction? An addiction is an emotional regulation skill set. So we are dysregulated emotionally for whatever reason. And then we find a thing. It could be food. It could be lack of food. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be sex. You know, fill in the blank, right? Go down the list. Um, all those things, those behaviors, those addictions are just attempts to regulate our nervous system and our emotions because mm-hmm. it's a solution. Like I feel better because if I do cocaine, my brain gets dopamine and I don't have a lot of dopamine because I'm in isolation all the time and feel like I'm going to be alone and abandoned the rest of my life. So when I do dopamine, I don't feel that way. Well, that's a better solution in the in the short term, right? The problem is long term, it's maladaptive. So what we have to realize is that when you look at specifically addiction through the trauma-informed lens, you have to ask yourself the question, not why the addiction, but why the pain? Yes. And when you yeah. get down to why the pain, then the conversation really opens up, right? And that's where we can have a much more expansive conversation about trauma. Yeah, 100%. And this is exactly what I've been uh, teaching people with about food for, for, for years, because it's a coping mechanism for something that's going on on a much deeper level. So no amount of dieting or trying to change your food habits is going to fix that because you're not actually looking at the actual root cause. You're just trying to fix the symptoms. But the symptoms that's are right. just a coping mechanism, right? That's right? So I'm really pleased that you said about about trauma can be something so small because I think a lot of people think the the word trauma is quite scary and I think definitely for me like I used to think well I don't have any trauma you know I didn't I had two very present parents that that you know I was very lucky to have parents that were there I didn't have any um, severe neglect or abuse and so I kind of thought well I don't want to talk about any of my problems because I don't I don't have any that are you know worth worth talking about but I think it's really important for people to know that trauma can be something so, so small. It could be a parent's divorce. It could be a death of a grandparent. It could be a car accident or, you know, it could be something seemingly insignificant, like pressure at school, being bullied. All of this can can result in trauma as well. So it's not just something that's reserved for people that have had it really, really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, it's like... um... 
it, it's 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 subtle, right? And whether or not you agree that you have trauma, if you look at symptoms, depression, anxiety, binge behavior, like all that stuff, right? If you have those symptoms, if you're not completing goals, if you're you know procrastinating and going live, or you're 99% ready to get your blog up but you don't hit publish, or like whatever your thing is, right? Like perfectionism, all that stuff, uh, you know, uh, feeling like you're not like not enough, imposter syndrome, all those things are trauma responses. So if you have the symptom, or we can see the symptom, uh, then there's an underlying root cause, and it may not be like something dramatic. It could be their emotionally based trauma, right? Like like as an example, right? Um, A big piece of what causes trauma. uh, By the way, it's also what happens in your body. So when you have something that's traumatizing, it's not just the event. Your nervous system can shift and change. And depending on what age we are, parts of ourselves stop developing. So you might have a traumatized five-year-old running your life because that part of your personality yeah. stopped developing and that shuts down all kinds of other stuff in your nervous system. So like it gets a little bit more expansive when we look at it through this perspective. And especially when you look at personal development, there is no such thing as a limiting belief if you take a trauma-informed approach because a limiting belief is a survival belief, which is if I move forward into this expansive life or career or whatever I want, it's unsafe for me. So I'm trying to keep myself safe. No one wakes up and tries to limit themselves, but Mm -hmm. everybody wakes up and tries to keep themselves safe, right? So it's a more compassionate lens. And when you understand neuroscience, it de-shames the process because you realize there's nothing wrong with you. You are perfectly made and you've been responding perfectly based on your unique history and your specific interpretation of the threats in your environment. Right. Mm. So it's, it's a, it's a much different interpretation of things. And, you know, if a cinnamon roll makes you feel better when you feel terrified, you're going to go for it. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm glad that you said about, you know, there's a, there's a traumatized five-year-old running the show. And for me, like, that's always how I can tell when I'm responding from an unhealed place, because I suddenly feel like a five-year-old, you know, if I have responded to a situation if I'm in an argument with Rick or something's happened and, and I am responding and, and suddenly I feel like I'm five years old again, that's where I can be like, ah, this must be trauma. This must be something that I need to look at because I feel like a child right now. And I think for anyone that's wondering how they can actually spot trauma showing up, it's when you feel like you're literally like a child running the show. That's how I personally am able to spot it. How else do you recommend people start to start to spot it, Mastin? Yeah, your triggers, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, which, which usually are pretty familiar, right? Um, and what's interesting about that type of stuff is that, you know, from the perspective, what's interesting is I'll talk to people, oh, I'm having problem A, right? Me and my partner get into a fight or whatever it is. Okay, tell me what happens. Well, in that moment, I feel really angry. Where do you feel it? Usually it's below the neck, somewhere in their body or shoulders or something like that. And we go there and we get into it. We start talking to that part of their body. And then we try to let that part speak because it usually doesn't get a chance to speak. And they'll say something like, well, he's never there for me. And that's just an emotional subcortical below the cortex, like no thinking put into it, just this response. Immediately what will happen is the frontal cortex, the thinking part will come in and go, that makes no sense. And they will invalidate their own experience, right? That process of invalidating your own experience repeats the process and the pattern of the trauma because that most likely that response was invalidated by your caregivers growing up. Yeah, so the best way to spot it is through triggers, right? So you trace your trigger and what we do is we want to actually give your trigger voice. We don't want to suppress it or push it down because when we're activated and we're in either a fight or flight response, really angry or we want to run away or more what's called dorsal vagal response where you're immobilized, shut down, nonverbal, don't want to talk, more depressive, right? We actually want to give that part of your, you know, nervous system 
of voice. Because typically what happens is that when we were younger, when we would have a certain response, that would actually be, you know, frowned upon or not discussed or somehow, you know, pushed away from our caregivers. So what we actually need to do is give that trigger a voice. And what happens with the clients is when we give the trigger a voice and maybe we talk about a relationship and someone says, well, when I really get into it, this part of me, this young part of me feels like he's never there for me. Immediately, the frontal cortex picks up and goes, that makes no sense. And they will invalidate their own response. What we want to do is flip the script, get curious and go, tell me more about that and let that part give more voice because that's the part that was never witnessed, never seen, never heard, never validated. And what's amazing when you do that is you tend to feel better, you tend to feel closer, and especially in the context of romantic relationships, you know, beyond procreation and even beyond spiritual growth, I think the purpose of romantic relationships is to be caretakers of each other's traumatized parts and to love those parts and to hold space for those parts because what that does is it gives our partner and ourselves what's called a disconfirming experience that's a corrective experience that was missing when they were growing up. So it's not that you're being their mother or their father or whatever, but you're giving this part of their personality a safe place to finally express itself and to not be rejected and to not be abandoned and to not be shamed. And that is like so, so, so powerful. People will try to do all kinds of stuff instead of that. Get A pluses, make $10 million, do a launch, get a million followers, like whatever it is. But all we're looking for is a corrective experience of parts of ourselves that have never really been allowed to, you know, see the light of day. It's an oh, important process. That's a big piece. That is that is a huge piece. That is profound, and I think it's so it's so important to notice that we like we are heal. We can be use relationships to be this container for our healing. And you know, a lot of people, if they're not aware of their own trauma, will find themselves in really dysfunctional relationships that are actually re-traumatizing. They're not healing at all. They're actually having the opposite effect, and they don't know why. Okay. They keep getting attracted to partners that are repeating the same patterns from from their childhood right that's right big time well and the other thing is is you know people talk about what is it like the famous phrase my picker's broken or whatever and they go from like they date the same guy in different shoes or whatever right yeah um it's not that the picker's broken it's that they don't know how to have a healthy relationship yeah so it's actually a missing skill set because usually when you pick someone who's not emotionally available the benefit to your nervous system is you don't have to be vulnerable either, right? So there's a level right. of safety in that. And, you know, I can't tell you how many women I meet because I coach so many women. I coach like 99% of my clients are women. So I'm a white guy talking about women, but I have a good data set to pull from. It's amazing <laughs> to see how many women will say, I want a guy who's present. Like they all, right? Or whatever, partner, depends on your sexual orientation, but they want a partner mm-hmm. who's present. When they find a partner who's present, the first thing that actually happens is they freak out because now there's nowhere to go, right? And that creates a whole other set of relational problems of what's called differentiation where people, two people want different things and how do you navigate that? And it's really interesting to see, but all relationship drama, the purpose of it is to surface the trauma and to have it be resolved in the relationship, not not separated. That's the goal, to be a safe container for each other. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Which is hard. It's hard. It's so (laughs) so hard. hard. It's so hard, but it's so worth it because you're you're getting to integrate and love all these new parts of you that you have shut away, you know. And I think that's why self love has got to be such a key part of this. You know, it's not 
ignore everything you've learned about self-love. Now we're going to focus on trauma. It's like you have to love yourself through this process. You have to not shame those parts of you that are unhealed and that are acting from this trauma response. You've got to actually find that love for those yeah. different parts of you. So self-love is a really key part of all of this, right? Big time. And the other thing is when you look at um, you know the trauma-informed approach, you know, it's funny. I used to have a company called Love Yourself. It was a t-shirt company back in 2006 to 2010. It was relatively successful for a while. And um, when you think about the idea of self-love, right, what we now know is the human psyche is not a unified thing. There are many fractions and fractals and parts of our psyche, and you could call them emotional states. You could call them different things, but you know, you're mad, you're sad, you're angry, you're happy, you're hangry, you're <laughs> joyful, you're, you're orgasmic, you're spiritual. I mean, all of these different emotional states are different parts of our psyche, right? You feel depressed, you feel anxious, you feel like you want to murder someone, then you love them. Like there's all those emotions that we have, right? Each emotional state is a different part of ourselves. And what's interesting is, is that there are certain parts that we do not allow out, and the reason why is they were shunned and disavowed earlier on. So when we talk about self-love, self-love is which part of myself am I loving today? Am I loving my critic? Am I loving the anger in your bitch? Am I loving the part of me that's a spiritual seeker? Am I loving the part of me that uh, you know likes kale or the part of me that likes sugar? Like which part am I loving today, right? There's so many parts. So when we look at a healthy response uh, and the trauma point approach to self-love, what we're all what that's about is it's about surfacing those different parts especially the parts that have been exiled and bringing them into the party too and letting them be here too and and that's a really hard thing because people will say things to me like well Mastin, you know how do i get past like push through my criticism i'm like well how's that working for you so far yeah right? like the answer is you don't push through it you embrace it like why like let's follow that voice for a little bit what's underneath that what's underneath that what's underneath that and it always reverts and regresses back to parts of ourselves that were unacceptable to our caregivers and thus have become unacceptable to us. And we don't have a skill set of knowing how to love that part. So, And that's the cool thing about partnership is usually in partners, whether it's LGBTQIA, doesn't matter your sexual orientation. With partners, you tend to attract people who are really good at what you're not good at. And... Why that's awesome is they can model for you how to love that part of yourself, and maybe they could even love it for you first if they're a good catch. Why it's annoying is because it's going to be pushing on the one area you won't let yourself go to, right? And so that's why all the relationship drama happens. But it's a really important thing to understand with self-love. What part of myself am I loving today, right? Because there's not just one self. There are many parts of the self. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said as well about about that person pushing on that part and loving those parts of you that you struggle to love, that's probably a sign that you're with a good healing partner. You know, not you shouldn't be with someone that's actually re-traumatizing those wounds. I think there's how can someone tell the difference in a partner? <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> uh, it's hard. It's hard. Cause in the moment you want to kill them, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, by like the soulmate, like your soulmate, like in one moment can be this angel sent from God or whatever. 30 seconds later, they, later, they can be like devil spawn. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I love you, right? It's because they're pushing on that part. You want to make sure that you have a mutual intention to grow together, first of all. Mm -hmm. And you have, to, you have to pray at the same altar. What do I mean by that? You have to have the same values, right? Now, you don't have to be in the same stuff. Like, 
Jenna, my partner, likes to wake up quietly. I like to wake up with rock music and rap and like aggression. Like that's how I wake up. Oh my God, that would drive me crazy. (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. But like, I can't be quiet in the morning. I need dopamine. I need to go, right? Mm -hmm. So, but we figured out how to navigate that. But we have mutual shared values, growth, truth telling, authenticity. Like we've both agreed, like we're never going to leave no matter how angry we get. Like we might take some time apart. We're never going to actually like break up, right? Because we're here for life, right? So like if there's mutual values that are shared and if in general, except for times when you're activated, but in general you have psychological and emotional safety, like you feel safe with this person, Mm -hmm. that's a really good person to be with. And what happens is, ironically, the more safe you feel, the more you're going to expose these parts of yourself that you've pushed down, which means there might be more drama at first once you get in touch with those younger parts. So it's not a lack of fighting or a lack of problems. It's how safe you feel to navigate them, if that makes any sense. It's not about, in in a relationship where you're growing together, it's not about a lack of problems and it's not about a lack of fights. It's about how safe do I feel and primarily, do we have a good repair strategy? Because that is how relationships ultimately grow, is mm-hmm. you have a problem or a disagreement or dysregulation, but you know how to repair. Just like with muscle, you have micro, you tra- you know, you have micro trauma on the muscle, it breaks apart, and the repair process is how you get stronger. The same thing is true in relationships. And so if you're good at repair, you have a pretty solid relationship too. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's unrealistic to think that you're going to meet a partner that doesn't trigger you. Like you don't want a partner that doesn't trigger you. You're always going to be triggered, but it's how you work through that. And it's if your partner is actually helping you heal, if you feel safe with your partner, if you feel like this person is good for you. And I think we all know deep down if we're with someone that's not good for us, if we're with someone that's actually, you know, not healthy for us, because we feel ourselves contract, we feel ourselves change to be around them. Um, We feel ourselves lock away different parts of ourselves. That's not a healthy healing partner for you. That's right. And, and again, I want to be very clear, you know, physical abuse, all this stuff is unacceptable. Um, And, and, and the hard part to understand is there will be times, especially when you're getting into the sensitive parts of each other's, you know, psyche that hasn't ever been surfaced, there might be times where you regress and you do change or you do collapse or you do do those things. But the goal is for the intensity, the frequency, and the duration to lessen. So those moments are less intense, so they're not as big. They're less frequent, so they're not happening as often. And they don't last as long when they do happen, right? Like there'd be times early in my relationship where something would trigger in me. I don't even know what's happening. I'm gone for six months. Don't even know where I went. Right now it's maybe 30 minutes, right? Which is a huge improvement, right? Huge improvement. So the goal is for the intensity, the frequency, the duration to you know, always be improving. Um, but yeah, long-term, if you're collapsing or any of those maladaptive strategies, that's not a good thing. But there will be times where it's extremely difficult. And the goal is to hang in it. I, I like to think of those moments because I like to think of it in workout terms. Like when you're really, you know, like if this is your person and you're just in a moment, like, I'm going to kill him and I want to leave and all that stuff. That's the equivalent of like bench pressing and your trainer's like, come on. And you get that last rep to get that like next level of strength beyond yourself. Like that, those, that's how I kind of contextualize those moments in relationships because that's when you're really building a different level of muscle and showing up in a completely different way, which is a powerful thing to do in relationships because yeah. there's nothing more healing than secure attachment. Exactly. Gosh. And it is so worth it. I mean, for people that are listening that are thinking, that sounds like hell, I'd rather just like leave my trauma in the box that I've put it in, in the warehouse of my unconscious and not go there. It sounds like I don't want, it sounds like it's just going to be too much 
aggravation to unpack what are the benefits for us oh. actually going into that box and unpacking right what are the benefits to proper diet and exercise too right so it's like like mm -hmm. we're describing the gym right and so in the gym whether it's the mental emotional gym spiritual gym relationship gym or actual gym you're doing the hard work what are the benefits all kinds of amazing things corrective experiences uh, if you look at um you know uh, couples who are regulated right they're actually more successful as entrepreneurs together if, mm. i work with a lot of couples who are like in a business together it's a different layer of complexity when you're a couple and you're also in business it's like 10 times more complex than just being a couple or just being in business right um so like your business moves out revenues increase um if you have children like you're saying a way better example for your kids you become what's called a transitional character which is someone who in one generation stops the passing down of these trauma patterns from generation to generation um all, your health improves you set the example for your loved ones um and especially you know unfortunately um if you look at the sort of uh evolutionary biology of it the, the 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 person in the household who sets the tone for the whole house is the mom or the female it's just how it is like everyone follows mom around right mm -hmm. and it's like if you have a, a, a the feminine partner is in a good state it's way easier to elevate a masculine partner into a good state but if the feminine partner is not in a good state very difficult for the masculine partner to raise the feminine partner to a good yes. state right so there is absolutely an evolutionary purpose to making sure the female person or the feminine is regulated because that's the source of life and growth and expansion, all this stuff. That's how the species procreates. And all, when all that is better, everything's better, right? So it's, you got to do the reps because if you don't do the reps, you're just going to be living at this low level static your whole life, repeating patterns over and over and over again, never really being seen, known or heard, never really you know, getting the juice of life. But you got to put your reps in. Right? What's the benefit of you know being in a healthy body? Not necessarily a bikini body, because that's whatever body you have, but in a healthy body, longer life, better emotions, more self-love, experientially. The same thing is true in a relationship, but it's exponential because there'll be parts of yourself that will be loved that were never loved before, and you become more integrated. Like who doesn't want that ultimately? It's all the good stuff. A hundred percent. And you've got to go into that. You've got to go into the darkness and have a little route around to actually get you know, to, to heal. That's what healing is all about. It's not just about this love and light and let's all think magical thoughts. You know, we've got to go into the, into the shadows. So I'd say someone's listening and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing my triggers. I'm, I know, I know what my trauma is. I've been recognizing what, what happened in my childhood, what I made it mean. Um, then what do they do with that? What do they do next? Oh, uh, so much. Um, well, fundamentally, what they want to have is a disconfirming experience or a series of them, right? So if I know that when I was three years old, my father left and I made that mean that I'm not lovable or something by men or whatever, right? Um, we want to start to have lots of experiences where you feel that not that unlovability, but then you actually receive love the way you want it, right? So mm -hmm. like it's the nervous system is show, not tell. So we have to give it experiences for it to believe that what we're trying to do is real. Otherwise, it's just a part of us is going to go, that's complete bullshit, right? So we want to manufacture and create and be intentional about disconfirming experiences more than anything else. But you can't do that by yourself. That's why you have to have some type of trauma-informed support, whether it's a psychodynamic therapist, attachment therapist, a trauma-informed coach of some kind. But there has to be co-regulation where you're together having those experiences over time. And another thing that's really important is to – do an, what's called an autonomic map. What is that? 
it's just a basic checklist of the uh, predictable responses you're going to have based on certain things. This is what makes me anxious. This is what makes me depressed. These things trigger me to eat this type of food. These things trigger me. Like, so we understand what our triggers are. Like these 10 things trigger me. I know that, right? And then we try to minimize those things and do things that build us up so that we're reducing the amount of triggers that we're having happen over time. Those would be some fundamental things that would be very helpful as well. And there are like 10 million different modalities that I could recommend. Um, and they just, they're very personalized based on someone's experience. You know, you probably want to get a functional medicine assessment to understand your basic gut health, understand the levels of inflammation in your body. If you're really into it, you might want to go get an EEG brain scan or a spec brain scan to see like what's happening up here in your brain. Um, there's other things that you can do as well because trauma is not just emotional. It's, you know, your gut health gets dysregulated, brain, all kinds of things get dysregulated. And, you know, there's all kinds of different modalities, whether it's emotional freedom technique, whether it's, um, you know, EMDR, uh, CBT, DBT, there's so many different modalities, neurofeedback. I mean, I could go on and on and on. It just depends on what that individual person needs. But most importantly, the goal is that disconfirming experiences that give your nervous system proof that what you, what happened in the past is no longer true. Right. Cause the, cause the unconscious doesn't really know the difference between the past and the present, right? So you can create the same experience in the present, but heal it in the present. And it feels like you're healing it in the past. Would that be accurate? Yeah, and if the geeky neuroscience part. So if you look at sort of the back right quadrant of the brain over here, right? So like all of our attachment system is here. So like basically this part of our brain is like, am I safe? Am I not safe? Is that person leaving me? Are they staying? Are they going to be different when I come back? Like all that kind of stuff happens back here. It's directly linked to the, this part of the prefrontal cortex called the dorsal prefrontal cortex. What happens is whatever happens back here, the expectation, abandonment, or security, right? Whatever it is directly links to the front part of the brain, which projects into the future. Mm. So if my attachment system says, I'm always going to be abandoned, right? Then I'm going to always see it in the future, yeah. right? So that's why we need disconfirming experiences to make the nervous system go, see, they didn't leave. And it's like, oh, and with enough of those, the pattern gets exhausted. I don't think it ever goes away, but you know, the, the intensity, the frequency, the duration go down. That makes yeah. no sense. And you know, apologies so for true. neuroscience, but I can't help myself. No, it's so welcome. It's so so welcome. Yeah, I I've I've had I have a thing where I always feel left out or excluded um, because I had that experience with girl groups at school. Always felt left like out of the group, and I can sometimes project that, and I have to check myself and go, that's not actually happening, but. It's, it's happening in here. My nervous system is going wild and, and panicking because I'm feeling left out. And it, I've projected that into the future and it's not actually happened at all. And so if you can start to, like you said, like map out what your specific triggers are, how you respond um, and start to prove the opposite is true. I think that's just that's the, this limitless healing available for you there. That's right. And it's precise for you, right? It's precise. Something that you mentioned earlier, which I just want to get confirmation on. I think a lot of people that are new to this conversation think that trauma is stored in the memory. Um, can you explain actually where trauma is stored and why a lot of this body work is so uh, powerful? Yeah, so uh, look at your body in the mirror. Look at the whole thing. That's where it's stored, in there, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. it could be anywhere. Um, and... What's interesting is, is you know, mental health is the wrong term, okay? Why? Because if you look at like, I'm gonna get geeky with neuroscience for a second, okay? But if there's this thing called afferent 
data. Afferent just means data from the body to the brain. Okay, afferent, body to brain. There's efferent data, which is data from the brain to the body. Okay, when you look at the vagus nerve pathway, okay, there is 10 times more afferent data from the body to the brain than the brain to the body, meaning 10 up, one down. You tell me what number is bigger. Okay, so doesn't take a neuroscience geek to figure that out, right? 10 is obviously bigger than one. What does that mean? The majority of our emotional data is in our body. The majority of our neurotransmitters are produced in our gut. They come in this bi-directional communication. Now, a bunch of processes happen in the brain that need to be corrected if they're not operating functionally. But like you try to meditate if you're hungover, <laughs> right? Like right. that's not going to work. You try to be in a happy state if you have tons of inflammatory foods going on leaky gut, right? Like it's not going to happen. So 100%, the majority of the emotional data or the traumatic memory is stored in our body, not just our nervous system, but in our fascia, especially if there's like assaults or physical injury, right? Like our fascia will freeze and prevent us from getting back into positions that traumatized us. So if I was forcibly immobilized, like with some type of physical assault, or in my context, I actually traumatized my right throwing arm. Uh, I was the baseball, all-star baseball player and my right rotator cuff snapped because I was also a wrestler. A wrestler snapped it. And there's tons of trauma here. It wasn't until I was like 20 or 30 years later where I released the fascia there. And I had a flood of grief take me over for like two days of like this morning, this baseball career that I never had, right? So it absolutely can be stored in the body, in the fascia. You know, the issues are in the tissues for sure. And the goal mm -hmm. is to trace it and understand like one of the first things you want to do if you look at like the work of Peter Levine and somatic experiencing, effectively what they're teaching is sensory awareness of your body, somatic awareness. What's happening in there? Because if you experience trauma over time, you become what's called alexithymic, which is a fancy term for numb, right? Which means that you don't know what you're feeling, right? People, what are you feeling? Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? So we have to explore first what's happening in there. And once you start to understand how the nervous system works and the body works, you realize there's a dull pain in my diaphragm or I feel this burning anger in my gut or my heart's racing. And becoming aware of those responses, that's your body talking to you and you want to inspect it. And believe it or not, the more you can inspect it, those parts of your body, those responses, those emotions have things to tell you if you will listen, right? And they will reveal all kinds of things. You know, I've worked with people and regressed them back to traumatic memory. I've watched their entire body relive a traumatic experience. They perform the same action all over again, but afterwards they were liberated from it because they never actually got a chance to work that stuff out. It's incredible what happens. And another thing to think about is we know about traumatic memory flashbacks, which is pretty famous because of PTSD, right? However, what's not as well known is what are called cognitive flashbacks. And cognitive flashbacks often show up, especially if you're in a relationship with a survivor of some type of major sexual assault or trauma, where a fight or an argument, what the survivor actually voices to their partner is what they could have never said to someone back then. And... That's not known. It's just, get off me. Like, whoa, honey, I just touched your hand. Like, what's up? Or whatever it is, right? So those are actually cognitive flashbacks. And the beauty in that is it's actually the trauma is safe if they start to come up and be voiced, right? So if you're in a relationship with a survivor or someone who has some type of, uh, you know, trauma in the history, you know, what they're voicing may or may not actually be about you at all. And you and your partner may not even know that, right? So a really skilled trauma-informed practitioner can help you figure out what's an actual complaint versus a cognitive flashback 
where you're trying to say something that you could have couldn't have said before. I don't know if that makes any sense, but oh, it makes really it makes so much it makes so much sense, and it's so so powerful. You know, the body is trying to show us all the time and, and release things all the time. And I mean, I've had some really powerful breathwork sessions, and I've also been and taken ayahuasca in Costa Rica, and I've felt trauma physically leaving my body. I've felt the emotions come back up to the surface to be refelt and re-experienced and released. And I feel so much lighter afterwards. Um, and I just, it's hard to explain, but you just feel more integrated and, and whole and like, wow, something just left my body. I don't know what it was, or maybe, maybe I do know exactly what it was, but it needed to, it needed to go for sure. You know, that's right. Um, are you a fan of breath work? Are you a fan of going and taking plant medicine? If it's, if that feels like it's right for you, is that something that you've explored as well? Yeah, yeah. The short answer is yes, but I have a lot of caveats to that, which I'll explain. Um, and one thing I want to say before we move on to is a lot of times what you're experiencing or what you just talked about, Mel, the, the phenomenon we're talking about is completion, right? So like, for example, um, I was working with a woman at Claim Your Power Live last year and she was assaulted, right? And and she would get into this position where she would kind of do this whenever she was triggered. She kind of like, for people who just hear my voice, like her hands come to her face, right? Well, what she never got to say was, get back! She never voiced that. She was too scared and immobilized. So over a period of about five or ten minutes, she at first it was like, get back, get back. And she's trying to be all polite. Finally, it was like, get back, you know, and like to me, like very intense. And there was a beautiful catharsis and release there. And what that is, the experience is a completion. Yeah. We're trying to complete something, right? And so whether it's through plant medicine or whether it's through breath work or whether it's through, you know, psychodrama uh, or whatever it is, the ability to complete something, to say, get back, get off, stop, that's enough, whatever it is, can be very powerful, um, especially if it's witnessed by somebody and, and not just, you know, in isolation. Now, there's a ton of research about psychedelics. And, you know, here in the States, ketamine was approved recently for treatment-resistant depression and PTSD and stuff like that. Um, you know, MDMA is on phase three and FDA clinical trials right now, which the next step is approval. Um, after that, you're going to see psilocybin. Ayahuasca is probably pretty far out uh, in terms of maybe like actual approval by the FDA, but certainly there's incredible responses happening. What I will tell you about psychedelics is this, okay? They do an incredible job helping people stay emotionally regulated during the reliving of traumatic experiences where if they did that, that when they weren't in a non-ordinary state would probably like frag their system. It'd be too much for their nervous system to handle, right? So it increases what's called their window of tolerance mm -hmm. so that they can process things in a different way. And what else is beautiful about, you know, MDMA, ketamine, ayahuasca, et cetera, is that if you ever have an experience of a memory where you're watching it happen, or maybe you're in your body, but you're not as triggered, that's called a dissociative experience where you're dissociating from the intense emotion. And what you're doing is, which is, can happen without the drugs too, but you can dissociate from the trauma, re-watch it or go through it again. And the reason why it's so powerful to do it like this is because not only can you handle it because you're not as taken out by the nervous system response, you're watching the event again, but this time with agency as an adult and power, you're not powerless. So to relive an event where before you felt powerless and now you feel like you have control or agency and some dissociation where it's not so up here and frightening can be extremely powerful. The other thing that's really interesting is if you look at the latest studies around uh, like what works for things like anxiety and depression, the mental health model of treatment is moving away from things like SSRIs, which are you know antidepressants, 
and they're moving more towards things like these types of you know uh, endocannabinoids, uh, ketamines, because what they do is they actually help restore pathways of connection in the body, right? Wow. And it, like, what does that even mean? Well, no one's ever taken MDMA and murdered someone. They go, I love you, man, right? Like, that's how it is. <laughs> Those are like pathways of connection, right? Um, and they're actually restoring it and making them more available because when we're in fight or flight or when we're shut down, our body isn't feeling safe enough to activate those pathways of connection. So when you are in a non-ordinary state, those pathways become more available. Now, psychedelic experiences are a preview of what's possible if you do the work. Yes. They are not the work themselves though, right? So like people who do these things, they call it the work and they go weekly or regularly or monthly or all the time. To me, that's not the work. That's escapism, right? Mm-hmm. You want to have a psychedelic experience or two, or, you know, sometimes there's protocols for six weeks or 12 weeks or whatever, depending on where you go. And then you want to integrate. And that's what I love about like mm-hmm. what MAPS is doing and like what the clinical trials around ketamine and all type of stuff is. There's a major focus on integration, not mm-hmm. just partying and escapism and stuff like that, right? So, you know, when you look at psychedelics in the context of Burning Man or Coachella or those types of things, that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about a very clinical process for healing. A hundred percent. And I think if you are, you know, thinking about going and taking ayahuasca and I can't speak for ketamine, I've not done that, but go to somewhere that focuses on integration and that, you know, you can, it has the ceremonial, um, it's, it's set up for you, you know, the set and the setting is so important. The person that's, right. that's Huge. you know, administering the medicine, the, the workshops that you have, you know, I'm really grateful that, I went to Rhythmia and they are massive on integration, massive on you understanding exactly what's going on. And you're not just going home to like, okay, what the fuck just happened? You know, you're actually like, okay, I know what came up. Now I've got to work through it. Now comes the real work. And you're absolutely right. Like for us, I mean, we went in December and we came back feeling like newborn babies, literally. And then all the work started when we got back. You know, when we got back to our normal lives and then we were like, oh, shit, like here's all that stuff that we that we that came up in ceremony for us to work through in everyday life. Um, so I That's think right. it's really important. And it's it's not about just going to going to Burning Man or going to a beach and, and taking this, that, the other. You know, you've got to be really careful, do your research and um, yeah, just be be safe. That's right. And, and the other thing is, please, 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 you know, if you're considering these things, please look at like... Um, you know, interactions, because like, for example, right, ayahuasca, relatively safe. Well, maybe depends on who makes it. There's lots of different ingredients that go into it. Mm -hmm. So no batch is the same, right? And you can create a dopamine shock. So if you're on a dopaminergic drug like Adderall or Ritalin or Modafinil or Provigil or any type of stuff, right? And other ones, like you could kill yourself because you give your brain dopamine shock, right? So you need to make sure that, you know, on those ayahuasca retreats, they have you like go vegan for whatever period of time too. You need to really make sure that you've been vetted and make sure that if you're on medication, that there's not going to be an interaction between the psychedelic and what you're currently on, because that could be bad too. So then there's lots of people and doctors and stuff now who are down to give you that information. You can Google it, uh, but definitely get medical advice as well, because if you're going to do it, make sure you're super safe. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. And so I just want to share something with you, Mustin, something that's recently come up for me um, in my personal life. So I when I was growing up, I had a mum and a dad who were super present. My mum was just an absolute superwoman. Like she did everything for everyone. 
um, revolved her life around her kids, which obviously as, as the, as the kid, you think that's the best thing ever. Um, and she was just this, just insanely amazing woman that I just completely idolized. Of course, everyone looks up to their mum like that. And, um, she was best, best friends with her mum, like literally joined at the hip. And when her mum, so my grandma, uh, was 58, she died really, really suddenly. I'm talking like she was super healthy, super fit. She didn't smoke, didn't drink, none of that. Went into hospital with a with a cough. And four days later, she had died from like some oh. really rare lung thing. And she, like I said, wow. she was a super healthy woman. And I, as a 10-year-old, um, saw my mum literally overnight completely disappear she went from this vivacious bubbly superwoman to suddenly she was she couldn't get out of bed her life had literally just been stripped away from her like literally it was like a complete um new person and I remember this is only something that I've uncovered recently you know um but I remember as as a 10 year old feeling like it's up to me. I've got to save her. I've got to fix this. I've got to take care of her. And I don't know how. Um, and I remember, I can still feel now talking about it, like the powerlessness and the helplessness that I felt, but also like the responsibility of like, this is my job. I've got to look after her. I've got to take care of her. And yeah. so what's come up for me recently, and this is this feeling of like over responsibility, like I'll find myself sometimes wanting to like take up, take on the world's problems as my own, or wanting to like save people and take that on as my job. And I'm recognizing that this comes from my own trauma. And a place where it's come up for me recently is everything that's going on right now in the world, this COVID-19 crisis that we're all in. And I want, I wonder if you can speak a little bit about this current chapter of all of our lives and how this is bringing everyone's trauma up to the surface because I know for me it's for sure brought mine up to the surface and that is like feeling like it's my job to to fix this to figure it out to save to save people to wake people up and I've really been trying to notice like is this coming from a, a healed space a space of love a space of genuine or is this coming from my unhealed trauma from that 10 year old that wanted to save her mom and and you know take on the world's problems sure can you speak a little bit about that uh, yeah and what a beautiful thing to share and thank you for sharing that and that's a really hard thing you're describing and um you said this stuff is still you still feel in your body so just for that little girl that's in there i just want you to know that she's doing a great job taking care of a lot of people <laughs> even though it's not everybody um, my question, yeah, no problem. My, my question for you is how deep do you want to go on that question? <laughs> <laughs> I say that to more as a, as a protective question, because you shared a lot with me that, um, I could probably help with, but you know, this is an interview, not a therapy session and I'm happy to go there, but I just want to know how far you want to go. <laughs> let's, I mean, let's go there. Let's go there. Okay. But I also want to, I want to make sure that wherever we go is helpful for everyone listening as well so that they can sure apply it very, in their lives. I'm sure that if we did it in a way that was helpful for everybody else, it'd be very happy. That little girl would be very happy that it was helpful for everyone else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. Um, <laughs> I would imagine if I was 10 years old and my mom disappeared overnight, that I would have been terrified and I wouldn't have had words for it. And I wouldn't have known it wouldn't last forever. 
and I would, you said, feel powerless and, and, and stuck. I would feel stuck. I would feel powerless. I'd feel abandoned. I'd also feel guilty for feeling that way because I love my mom. So I'd be very, I had a lot of inner conflict. Is that anywhere near accurate? Yeah, I think so. I think I just wanted to, wanted to take care of her and, and didn't know how to. Yeah. So, so that's, um, and that's an impossible situation that you found yourself in wanting to change something that you don't know how to change is an impossible thing. And that's the epitome of feeling out of control and stuck. Yeah. Now, do you have any sense of when some of the maladaptive eating stuff started? Uh, the eating stuff came in uh, much later. That would have been age 14, 15. Okay. So it took you a couple of years to kind of get dysregulated About, enough. Yeah. Five years. So you, yeah. So you probably felt out of control for five years. I mean, you know, the eating stuff for me, I think, was a way for me to definitely a way for me to find control and a way for me to I remember feeling like this is my secret thing that is just for me right. and I can look after it and I can take care of it and no one else needs to know. And that made me feel in control. That's right. That's right. And, and it's interesting what you just said, right? I want to take care of my mom. I want to take care of everything else, but this is the one thing I get for me, mm-hmm. right? And so when you talk about what you experience at the age of 10, the term, I'll give you a term for it, it's called parentification, okay? When a child decides that the parent's gone and I have to take care of things, that's called a parentified child. And it wasn't because she was negligent or a bad person or a drug addict or whatever, she had a very big trauma and grief come up for her and no one was equipped for it, right? Regardless though, you took on a responsibility far too young for someone of your age at that time to, and you took on a problem that's not solvable, right? Mm-hmm. Which means there's a lot of magical thinking of like visioning and what could be, but a lot of, um, what's the word, like, like hopes being up and then a lot of like not getting your like getting your hopes up and then not getting it like disappointment basically so there's all this mm-hmm. magical thinking that's happening but a lot of disappointment and you probably defaulted to even though there's magical thinking anticipating more disappointment like they're not going to be there for me so and that's interesting because that's a version of feeling left out too which you talked about earlier on the call it was yeah. almost like the original left out right so, so what that means is, is that like for a long time, I would imagine you're asking yourself, where do I fit in? And you're talking about self-love and all of your work, right? Which is exactly what that little 10-year-old needed. And she needed a mom and a person to be there for her to love her and say, hey, honey, here's the way out. That's not your fault. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think I think because I have a younger brother as well, I felt really responsible for taking care of him and making sure that he was okay in it all as well. That's right. So, so now, let's for a second before we get to COVID nineteen, which we'll get to it. Okay. Now let's think about a relationship. Okay. Now I know nothing about you guys except for what I see online and stuff like that. But I'm imagining myself in a relationship with a person like that, and I'm imagining they're going to want to take good care of me, which on a one level is awesome, but on the other level is, babe, I got it. What you, like I got this. Like what's up? Like, I'm going to do my thing. And I would imagine it'd be hard to sometimes give because you're like, no, I got it. I don't know if that's true, but I'm just imagining those dynamics, which is that's about giving and receiving. Does that make sense? And a receiving is way more vulnerable because when you're receiving that 10 year old girl has to say I'm safe, which she doesn't feel that way usually. 
And then this is probably before work and stuff like that. But the way that manifests is in a lot of giving, not a lot of receiving, a lot of disappointment and feeling trapped like I can't get out of it. So what happens? I don't know if that's – is that accurate in the relationship? Is that at least in the right direction? Uh, what, like feeling like I give like I give a lot and don't receive a lot or like or feeling like I can take care like, of it? him like, babe, I got this too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's something that I've definitely had to work on. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear you on like that. Like letting him be there for you, right? Like that's the hard part, mm. right? Because mm. the thing about a mom or a partner, right, the more meaningful someone is to you and the closer they get to you, the more difficult it becomes to rely upon them for you. Yeah. Mm. Not for them, for you. Yeah, you know, I've, I've I've had this show up in my um, friendships actually as well, where I've I've been the one taking care of my friends, and I've struggled to let myself be taken care of by my friends. That's right. So so like so like I'm imagining a relationship, right? You want to take care of him, he wants to take care of you, and there's a lot of good intentions that get missed along the way because no person's feeling effective at caring for the other people and all that type of stuff. Which then, if that's directionally accurate, right, we go from mom to partner to COVID-19, you're finding yourself in another unsolvable problem for you. Like you or me cannot solve the COVID-19 problem by ourselves. Right. We just can't, right? So when we look at what's happening with COVID-19, first of all, one of the most traumatizing things you can do to a mammal is to forcibly immobilize them. Right. So like solitary confinement, when you're holding somebody down in an assault or any of that type of stuff, those are all you know restraining. Like if you're like, you know, in a, in a, in a hospital bed and they have to restrain you, like all the forcible immobilization is the most traumatizing thing you can do to a mammal. Okay. Now, what is a shelter in place order, but forcible immobilization, right? Which is why at first people were kind of like, whatever, but the longer it goes on, you can see all these responses. And is it a conspiracy theory? Is Bill Gates really doing this thing? That's never been my concern with people. My concern is to break down what's happening for you because of all this, right? Mm -hmm. Because whether or not Bill Gates or Robert Kennedy or Trump or Fauci or whoever, okay, we're going to let that be what it is because is there government corruption? Yes. Is there (laughs) alternative? Yes. All day long, but if you look at what's happening right now in this major debate between getting my freedom back and we got to stay in shelter in place to save people or whatever it is, right? Every person's response is informed by their history. Yeah, right? exactly. So let me exactly. Get, right? So, so whether or not the facts are true, just like in a relationship, doesn't matter. What matters right now is what's happening for you. What is your emotional experience, yeah. right? And that's what we want to help our clients with. And I'll give you an example. I was on a call with a client maybe two weeks ago, and she came at me with like, Mass thing you don't understand. This is about population reduction. This is about, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, ch- ch- child sexual slaves who are emerging from these tunnels and like all this crazy shit's happening. I go, that sounds really intense. Tell me more, right? So we got into it. And I tried to delineate between things like population control, which I'm not going to debate because that's not my role. But more, what's coming up for her? Well, what ended up happening was we went back and we went back and we went back. When she was three years old, a babysitter came over, turned on a television show. And the show, I don't even know what show this was, but for her, it was about rabid dogs eating and killing children. That's what, that's what, that's, that's what, the, that's what the, the babysitter put on. And this person couldn't voice it, how terrified she was, right? And she thought, 
this is awful. Why are you killing children? It was traumatizing for her. Okay. Now through that three-year-old mind looking at COVID-19, the vaccine thing turned into some connection with rabies. If there was a vaccine, they wouldn't have been rabid. If they wouldn't have been rabid and the kids wouldn't die. Right. So there's this like anger at like vaccines and there's this anger at children dying unnecessarily, which it makes a lot of sense. You don't go through trauma to be mad about that, but it created this 38 year old person who was angry about the lack of a COVID-19 vaccine and really worried about children being taken advantage of, turning Mm. into Facebook posts and turning into arguments, which Mm. the facts of those things I won't debate. But what was happening for her is she was replaying being a three-year-old, being forced to sit in front of a TV and being terrified. That's what was coming up for her, right? So whatever's coming up for you, leave the facts at the table for a moment. Understand your emotional response. Yeah, right. For completely. me, like for, for me personally, my whole thing is a level of abandonment because my parents were focused on taking care of my mom, had a broken back, so the attention wasn't on me. And one of my core traumas is I'm not interesting enough. So I try to be very interesting, right? That's kind of how I cope. <laughs> you definitely well, are. <laughs> <laughs> I try, I try, right? So like when we in March and April, we had a bunch of clients that weren't able to pay and they were like all these like people who were, you know, like not able to pay, right? Well, as a business owner, I know, cool, we'll work on it, it's all good, we'll figure it out. But the young part was like, they're abandoning me. And I felt completely unsupported. Like I was two years old. My parents were in another room and I'm by myself helpless. So I spent like a week feeling helpless. Like, what the fuck is this about? You're the trauma guy. Like, why are you feeling so helpless? And I got my therapist and coach on the phone. And she helped me figure it out. But I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah. And so like when I felt helpless in the last like two months, I remember, oh, for me, COVID-19 is when people leave me, whether it's I can't see them in real life or whether it's clients who cancel or whatever it is, that young part of me feels helpless. My job, whether or not there's a business impact or not, is to help that two-year-old feel regulated and safe. And once he does, my behavior improves. I can go generate more revenue and pivot or I can call my friend and have a Zoom chat or whatever it is. But if I'm ignoring that younger part that's screaming at me, oh my God, I'll fuck my life right up. And so would anybody else, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's really interesting how like, like you said, each of us are having very different reactions to everything that's going on based on our own experiences and our own, our own past and our own trauma. And it could be someone's, you know, lack of trust in authorities, lack of safety, you know, a lot of some people are a lot more scared of the virus than others. Some people are much more scared of them losing, losing their rights, get like losing their freedom, uh, authorities not being who they say they are, which could obviously also be past experiences of parents not being, not being truthful or honest or reliable and as I said, for me, it's this feeling of like a problem that I can't solve and can't control and feeling like I need to somehow feeling like helpless and helplessness and powerlessness and feeling like I need to save everyone or show everyone or, you know, help everyone. And um, it's really interesting to, to take a step back from that and notice the, the child within me based on everything that we've just spoken about. Um, for sure. And one thing I'll say is, um, you know, what we're talking about, I'll just give it a label, it's called transference. Transference in the clinical context is when a client uh, has something come up from their history and then the the practitioner or therapist turns into the parent or the person, the trauma, Mm -hmm. and it gets projected onto the practitioner. Countertransference is when someone else's problem triggers the therapist or practitioner because of their history, right? So Mm -hmm. transfer, you can transfer onto like the universe. So like if you try to manifest stuff, all your history will come with you and prevent you from manifesting, right? You can transfer onto partners and all kinds of stuff. Well, mm-hmm. you can also transfer onto COVID-19. 
right? Yeah. They're going to have transference there. So what you're describing is a transference from when you were younger. And so what I help people do is identify the transference in it because whether or not the facts are true, I'm not here. I don't know Bill Gates enough. Is it plausible? Absolutely. Do I trust people? Hell no. Like there's all kinds of shit that people do that's not trustworthy, right? Like, I don't know. I have opinions, right? I have opinions for sure, but I do not allow my professional status and the trust I've built professionally to layer in my opinion because I'm here to help people with their nervous system response. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think we can forget as well that, you know, the people that are you know, running the world, you know, these leaders, they're, they're traumatized as well. You know, a lot of the, the awful stuff that we see going on in the world, all this corruption, all this abuse, you know, this abuse of power, sexual abuse, child abuse, like all of this stuff is the result of very traumatized individuals. You know, there's a lot of collective trauma in the world that's right now playing out. That's correct. And, 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 uh, I think Oprah said it and I'll say it again. Um, Trauma is the explanation, but it's not the excuse. So it doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily the victim and that, you know, it's all good or whatever. But to change something, we do have to understand it, right? And when I look at someone like President Trump, I mean, goodness gracious, there's so much trauma there. I mean, wow, yeah. right? Like there's no one, like talking about a dysregulated person, right? And, and the reason why people are so activated by him it has nothing to do with politics. The dude does not make people feel safe. That's the bottom mm-hmm. line, right? Like that's his nervous system does not make my nervous system feel safe. And what we need is we need leadership and we need leaders to help emanate, emanate nervous system signals of safety in tone, in planning, in facial expressions, mm-hmm. in compassion, empathizing, listening, right? And that's a really important thing to understand. Um, but, oh, the other thing I was going to say is in transference, the number one rule in transference, especially if you're a clinician who's working on your stuff coming up because of a client session, you have to embrace the utter powerlessness you have to change anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, and yeah. When you own that, so much is freed up. Doesn't mean you can't try to help, but you are absolutely powerless to change anybody. And certainly we can't stop coronavirus from spreading right now, yeah. whether or not it was man made, right? <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Oh, this conversation has just been such amazing medicine for me. I'd love to to know, is there, and what's like really exciting for you in your life right now, Mastin? You got anything coming up that we can all support you with and get excited about? Well, I'm, I'm very excited because uh, we have, uh, we do have a program uh, that's coming out later in May called Live Your Purpose Bootcamp. And it's basically the core assumption is the reason why you're not getting results in your life is because you have an inflexible nervous system, which is true. So you try all this stuff, not get the results. Not because there's nothing wrong with you, but because your nervous system is inflexible. The root cause of inflexible nervous system is emotional trauma, and purpose in life is one of the best antidotes to trauma and stuff like that. So it's a, a course that's really based on neuroscience and purpose and trauma. It's a really beautiful thing. We have that coming up. And then I love the Claim Your Power book. It's been a word of mouth thing that's come out since 2017. It keeps selling more and more every week, just completely word of mouth. Um, and I love that book as well. And there's a uh, you can get the book and a free course at claimyourpowerbook.com. And at Mastercap on all the internet things. Yes, amazing. We'll we'll make sure we link that up in the show notes. And I've got to say, Claim Your Power is amazing. I read it, I think, two years ago and just love the way that it's laid out. It's like it follows the hero's journey, right? And I'm like, oh, I can get on board with that all day long. So what is one thing that you are loving right now? Loving right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, this is the you probably weren't gonna think I was gonna say this right now. So since quarantines happened, my love for VR games has increased traumatic like exponentially. 
Um, and I've been playing a lot of virtual reality games to pass the time. And I've actually joined a league, and the game is called War Dust, and our team is undefeated in this league right now, which is so nerdy of me to say. But the competition is so high. We're 9-0 and right now, and I'm just loving that at the moment. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this nerdy side of you. I did not see that coming. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, okay. And then next, okay, what is something that turns you on? It can be a quality, a thing, a personality trait, something that really does it for you. I think sensitivity is probably the best turn on for me. So when, when you know, I'm thinking about my partner, Jenna, that's what initially attracted me to her. Is she's extremely so emotionally available and so sensitive and so tuned into her emotions. And, you know, I had did not have that growing up. So to me, that was super hot and still is. I love that answer. Yes, all day long. Okay, and then finally, when was the last time you experienced pure magic? Well, this is not exactly fair because our cat's name is Magic and he is magic every day. So I would say probably about an hour and a half ago, probably about an hour and a half ago. But if I had to be outside of our cat Magic, who is amazing, um, I so maybe like last week, uh, it was right after my, Jenna's birthday, so like the 26th of April or something like that. Disney released a fireworks show from Walt Disney World, and I watched it, and it swept me away. And I am not a crier. I'm not like, like I'm not even like a Disney geek, but like there's something about it that was so magical, and like like seeing Simba and like the Lion King montage, all that stuff was just incredible. And even though it was on my iPhone, I was like still like, Bleh! like it was really awesome. It was pretty magical. Oh my God. I know exactly what you mean. We actually watched the new, we watched the new Lion King the other night and they've, it's oh. literally the exact same as the Disney version, but redone in all the crazy CGI. It is so fucking good. I was it's literally so crying. Rick was crying. I was like, are we crying at the Lion King? He was like, yeah, we are. <laughs> but it's so good. It's just so meaningful. And it's so, it's so, it's, it's so just good. an amazing, it's such, such a good one. Love those answers. Mastin, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, what we're going to do next is we're going to head over to our Goddess Collective community where I'm going to be asking uh, you some more personalized, private, juicy questions uh, within our community. Um, so, guys, if you want to join us there, head over to the show notes, become a member and join us inside. Mastin, this has been amazing. You've been such a rock star. Uh, absolutely loved your wisdom. Um, where is the best place people can come and find you and check you out? Oh, yeah. Just at mastinkip.com or at mastinkip on all the different social media platforms. Thanks, Mel. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hey, guys. Really hope you got some value from this episode. If you would like to go further and deeper with your personal and spiritual development and you want to do it in a community of like-minded women on the same journey as you, come and join us inside the Goddess Collective where we have bonus content from every single podcast guest on the show and you get to ask your own specific questions. So the link is down below. Come and join us inside. If you loved this episode, come and join the discussion in the comments below. Hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.